Welcome to a Prevent Connect podcast, where we explore the prevention of violence against women. This is a project of the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Hello, this is Ashley Meyer with Prevent Connect, and today I'm thrilled to be talking about social media for the prevention of violence against women. I'm here with Courtney Rasmussen, a Rogue Community College student, and Rogue Community College is in Grants Pass, Oregon, and Courtney will be attending Southern Oregon University this fall. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Ashley. Well, Courtney, I think this is a great topic, and it's definitely one that our Prevent Connect audience is very, very interested in. So first, why this topic? Why did you pick this? Oh, I wanted to write this paper because as a millennial, I'm always on social media. I use social media a lot, and being interested in prevention as I am, I use a lot of social media that has to do with prevention. And I've noticed that nonprofit organizations often have social media, but they don't use it very effectively. So I wanted to write a paper that was helpful to these organizations to help them see how they can use social media better for their causes. Well, I've read the paper, and I think it's definitely helpful, and we're going to go through some of those key points and best practices. But first, what kind of research did you do for this paper? Well, I used my school's access to EBSCOhost, which has a lot of different journals and things on it, and I did a general search for any literature that had anything to do with social media and violence against women and preventing violence against women. And I actually had a really hard time finding those things combined, but was able to find a couple of papers on those things and then supplemented with two studies about internet usage and got a couple of studies from the World Health Organization and Center for Disease Control. And I also interviewed a couple of people I think that, you know, your experience is really a common one, that it is hard to find these two topics combined. And now it's wonderful that we have a paper um, that kind of synthesizes it all. So what were some of your key findings? Well, I divide my paper into three parts, and they're increasing audience, educational information, and going from awareness to action. And these are the important ways that I think prevention organizations can use social media. So increasing audience, social media is really flexible. It can be used on a small or large scale and is able to go from one to the other very easily, and that's called scalability. It's also really good at targeting audiences. You can target a very narrow audience, or you can go really broad. So when people think of social media, they often only think of things like Facebook and Twitter, but there are a lot of different platforms that can be used in a lot of different ways. And so if people open up their thinking of social media, they'll see that there are things like podcasts, YouTube videos, crowdfunding, all kinds of different ways, webinars that you can use social media to improve the functioning of your organization. I think especially there are so many YouTube channels and like TED Talks and things that can be used in putting together programs for youth, prevention programs, and that can also support professional education. In my section, Awareness to Action, Bridging Awareness to Action, I talk about the fundraising capabilities that can be found in things like crowdfunding, the usefulness of online petitions for raising awareness, amplifying positive norms, and increasing visibility, and also the ability of using social media to attract volunteers through getting your current volunteers to act as kind of evangelists for your organization. 
Yeah, Courtney, one thing that I found really interesting was the piece on petitions. You know, obviously I have to say I'm kind of guilty of saying what I think a lot of people in prevention work say is, oh, a petition, what is that going to do? But I really like how you talk about it as amplifying the actual positive norms and giving them power. I like that piece. Right, yeah, and petitions do get a lot of negative reactions from people, and and I hear a lot that they're not effective, but I see them working. Maybe I've just been selective in my, I don't know, memory of their effectiveness. Like, for example, I sent my paper with a petition from Change.org, and three girls got together. They had just learned from their high school civic class that a woman hadn't moderated a presidential debate since 1992, and they thought this was terrible, and they started a petition on Change.org, and attracted a lot of attention, got a lot of signatures, got media coverage. And because of this, the moderator for that year's debate between Obama and Romney was a female for the first time in 20 years. And so you do have to be strategic in your use of it. And it may not be successful, but I think even putting yourself out there and making people aware of an issue is entering the conversation. And when you enter the conversation, you change the conversation. And I think that's what social media is about. Social media use for prevention is about changing the conversation. Wow, I think that's great. When you enter the conversation, you change the conversation. And one of the things I like about the way you talked about the petitions is that, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all of prevention, but it's kind of from the sense of collective action, collective impact. It's a way to really push something forward. And Courtney, another thing that I found really interesting in your paper was you talk about infotainment. So you talk about using social media to inform and entertain, and you actually say that prevention organizations would do well to use social media for both purposes. Right. And this is something I strongly believe in. People don't use social media to be educated. They don't share social media that is educational. They share social media that is entertaining. And you're not going to get likes or clicks if what you're sharing is just boring and ho-hum. You've got to spice it up with something. You've got to put a picture on it, put a nice picture on it, make a video that's interesting, put a spin on it that gets the people's attention. Yes, and you give three examples. Can you go over those examples? So these are examples that I really enjoy myself. I watch a lot of videos from Lacey Green. She has a channel called Sex Plus, and Lacey Green is a pure sex educator. She talks about healthy relationships. She busts gender myths and she gives accurate sex information, and she does it in a way that is just really entertaining. She's so passionate about what she's talking about. Another channel I like to watch is Feminist Frequency, and this is done by Anita Sarkeesian. She she talks a lot about media literacy topics. So she analyzes films and also video games. She breaks down the sexist trope in the things that she's analyzing, and she packs her videos full of images and clips and relevant cultural information. And it's just really entertaining and informative at the same time. Another thing that I like to do is watch TED Talks. If you're not familiar with TED Talks, there will be a short, like, 7 to 15 video of an expert talking about whatever they're passionate about, what they're studying, what they do. These are often very, very entertaining, and they're short, and they use slideshows and stuff while they're presenting. They talk about a very wide range of topics, and among them, you can find topics that are good for tying into a prevention program like violence against women, the empowerment of women, and a lot of other things. Some of the ones that I can think of 
off the top of my head are Jackson Katz's video about how violence against women is perceived depending on how you frame it in your language. And there are videos by Philip Zimbardo, who is a, a really wonderful psychologist, and another one, the director of Misrepresentation, if you're familiar with that documentary, Jennifer Siebel talks about misrepresentation and why she directed this film. There are so many, so many. There really are. And what's interesting about these examples for me is that so many of them have to do with feminism. And in your paper, you talk about feminism as prevention. And to just quote you, you say that all activities that promote the empowerment of women and normalize equality between men and women help create a society that does not tolerate the verbal, financial, mental, or physical abuse of women. Yes, this is something that I thought was essential to put in my paper because so many of my prevention social media sources are feminists, and I think a lot of people don't understand the connection between prevention and feminism, and also sex positivity and sex education. These are all things that go together. So I felt like I had to put a little defense of feminism in my paper to support my usage of these very heavily feminist media sources. Right, because sexual and domestic violence prevention work is gender equity work. Right, yeah. So, Courtney, what were the best practices that you identified for using social media to prevent violence against women? Well, first of all, an organization should be very strategic. They should know why they're wanting to use social media and have a clear strategy as to how they are going to use it. They should have goals, and they need to keep tabs on their progress toward those goals. So being strategic is very important. They also need to create a code of conduct. When you're using social media, you often are dealing with people who don't necessarily believe in what you're doing or trying to do, and you often find yourself moderating conversations, and you need to know when it's appropriate to draw the line and say, you know what, this comment needs to be deleted, or when to say this person has a misunderstanding and they need some information. So a code of conduct is important. There are other ethical considerations that need to be taken into account also to protect privacy of people involved in your organization and to avoid misunderstandings. Another thing is that social media should be used socially. So you should be making friends, making connections in your community, getting involved in discussions, creating discussions of your own. It shouldn't be just one way, like a website where you post your information about your organization. It should be dynamic. There should be back and forth going on. And I think that people will find when they use it this way, it's a great resource to use for collaboration with other organizations. And my final recommendation is to hire a social media staff person. A lot of organizations use social media and they just post a couple of things now and then. And so they don't feel the need to have someone dedicated to that role. But if you're using it correctly, it's a much more involved process. You are getting involved in conversations, moderating conversations, providing information. And if you're doing that to every person who comments on a picture or on a post, if you're constantly loading videos that will interest people or if you're creating videos that will interest people, this is really a full-time job. Absolutely. I definitely agree with all of those recommendations, and they really speak to the fact that, as you talk about at the end of your papers, that social media has the potential to greatly improve the impact of prevention organizations at the community and the society levels, and I couldn't agree with that more. Courtney, overall, how was this process for you as a student? 
enjoyable. You know, I don't very often get to write papers on something that I feel really strongly about. And so I found that my 10-page limit was too small for me. I had so much more that I wanted to include and say, and I don't think that's ever happened before. Well, that's really great to hear, and I think that this is definitely, as I said before, a needed and sought-after topic. So you've certainly pulled together a lot of information that folks who do work to prevent violence against women are looking for, and I'm sure they thank you very much for being willing to do this podcast and share your findings with us. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for listening to this Prevent Connect podcast. Prevent Connect is a project of the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault with funding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The views presented on Prevent Connect are not necessarily the views of the United States government, the CDC, or CalCASA. To learn more about Prevent Connect, visit www.preventconnect.org. For more information about CalCASA's mission or to show your support, visit calcasa.org. That's C-A-L-C-A-S-A dot O-R-G.